Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, thank you for giving us wisdom today concerning these things to come. And um, thank you, Lord, for uh, letting the saints pray about the things that we we share. And um, it gives some foundation to prayers and things. And thank you for wisdom, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Father. All right, we're going to talk about sign of the man-child birth and anointing. <clears throat> and uh, this first revelation was given to Garrett Crawford over a period of time, but mostly 61022. Uh, and we called it Journey to Kazakhstan. Yes. Garrett said, I had a very vivid dream that I was inside the continental United States. I started a journey that took me from the U.S. and into Iran, and lastly, my final destination was Kazakhstan. For some reason, Iran and Kazakhstan were actually inside the United States. Well, that, mean, that means God's using them as a type and a shadow of something that is in the United States. Kazakhstan um, is the birthplace of the Khazarians, uh, and they are our deep state Babylon. Okay, so that uh, is an entity in the United States. And, of course, that's a big faction, terrible faction. They cause wars. They separate people, cause wars, and so on and so forth. And, of course, they're throughout the world also. So Iran represents the apostate church system in the United States. The Iranians are Semites, like the Jews, and not Hamites, like the Arabs. Everybody thinks they're Arabs. They're not. They're uh, kinfolk to the Jews. And their leadership uh, apostatized and factioned against their brothers, like the factions in the church, in the state now. And as we will see, within Kazakhstan is the bride that the man-child is to be born out of. Uh, in a dream Garrett had back in 2020, there was a virgin girl in Kazakhstan who was about to give birth to the man-child. And Kazakhstan uh, birthed the Khazarians, who became a nomadic people and have been a criminal entity, uh, and they're many times called just the deep state. But to be born in Kazakhstan is to be born from Babylon, like Zerubbabel. That's what his name means. He was a type of the man-child, and his name meant born from Babylon. You could have said just the same thing, born from the Khazarians. <laughs> but in our time, not in that time. Okay. Um, so, 
Garrett went on to say, In the dream, Iran was a place where many of my unsaved childhood friends lived and had assimilated into the native culture there. The unsaved childhood friends represent factions in apostate Christianity because they are spiritually stunted in their growth. And uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven says, When I was a child, I spake as a child. I felt as a child. I thought as a child. Now I'm become a man, and I have put away childish things. I realized it was very dangerous for me to be there, Garrett said, because of their faction. <laughs> I'm saying... <laughs> It's been very dangerous to be in the two factions, the Kazarian and the Iranians, uh, because these are depopulation people, the Kazarians are, and, uh, and worldly Christianity is factioned and, and can't see one another's points of view. And inside that is the faction that we talk about so much, which is trying to destroy the man-child and the woman. Okay. Garrett said, I was not sure why I really needed to go to Kazakhstan in the dream. The dream ended with me leaving Iran and making my way to Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, um, again, represents Babylon, deep state, and it's a dangerous place because of their depopulation agenda here and all the ways they think they can try to kill people. Uh, there was a a little house that I saw in a vision that I was to go to. And when I woke up, I remembered this dream and the words from 2020. Okay, well, the little house is the house of the David Manchild Reformers that is being rebuilt. Okay? So let's go to his 2020 vision here, Garrett's. He's, we called it The Lord Induces labor of the man-child. In this dream, I was walking up to a large coliseum. Well, a coliseum is a place of larger and larger circles of people representing an exponential revelation being passed on, right? The revelation's always in the middle, and it goes from the first row to the second row, and that's, this is the way basically things are passed on, Okay. We tell somebody, they tell somebody else, you know. Well, he went on to say it was a large venue and an event was going to happen inside. I remember I was quite early for the show that they were not letting anyone in just yet. As I was in front of the Coliseum, I saw David Eels walking over to me. I could not believe he was there too. It was a pleasant surprise. We had a brief conversation, and as we were talking, we saw a group of protesters across the street making some commotion. They kind of caught my attention, but David told me not to pay them any, any mind. Well, that's, we know who that is. That's the factious apostates in the church and uh, the state uh, too. And they protest and they fight against the man, child, and the bride and against God himself. But, of course, that's not going to last. I walked away from David and then walked back up near the Colosseum and saw a man standing behind a table. But he had a lot of materials on his table. 
and he was giving them out. Although he doesn't really exist in real life in the dream, he was David's right-hand man, an assistant pastor. Well, we got a revelation of this. He's not a physical individual person, but a representation of many pastors and other teachers who pass on the man-child's wisdom and knowledge. And this is happening now, you know, of course, but uh, the anointed man-child, it will be much more important, right? I was quite familiar with the assistant, and we are with many of them, right? He was very happy to see me, and I him. We talked for a while, and he had great news to tell me. Yes, the good news of the gospel that sets people free is always great news, and that's what we pass on. He said, UBM has an orphanage or mission in Kazakhstan and the surrounding area. God is doing many mighty works there. Yes, he is. And uh, even now, yes, he is. Kazakhstan is a land that had been conquered by the Mongols, but was later set free. The Mongols were a fierce and vicious people who regarded not the lives of others and were factious against all, everybody, uh, very much like the deep state, which has also conquered many lands and that are now being set free. Amen. UBM does, does have an orphanage and mission in other countries, and the, uh, the pastors hand out UBM materials in the midst of peoples who are just like the uh, vicious protesters mentioned above. Yep, there's a lot of antagonism against Christianity all over the world. And, of course, the faction is the worst because they want to make sure it doesn't get out to these people. So we can't... Uh, mention these people specifically because the faction has already tried to kill them. <laughs> yeah. So he told me the man-child is about to be birthed, and they know the young girl in whom he is coming. All right. She was a poor virgin girl in the church. In other words, among the factious peoples. They're in Kazakhstan, and she is with child. Okay. Well, it reminded us of Revelation 14, 1 through 5. And I saw, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And they sing, as it were, a new song before the throne, verse 3, um, and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no man could learn the song save the 144,000 even they that had been purchased out of the earth. These are they that are not defiled with women, meaning factions, for they are virgins. In other words, they don't receive the seed of the denominations and the factions and uh, so on. They receive only the seed of God. So they haven't received this. These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were purchased from among men to be firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. So uh, firstfruits unto God, of course, was Jesus. He was called the firstfruits. But now we're talking about the firstfruits unto God and the Lamb, and that's the man-child. 
In their mouth was found no lie. They are without blemish. So they're not speaking lies like a lot of the church are. They're speaking just the word. That's a safe thing to do. He said they have seen the sign that he was ready to be birthed. And I said, but it's too soon. He said, no, he is coming, and we have seen the sign. Well, we have been shown that the man-child is coming sooner than many believe and, uh, and that he will come early. And that's what Garrett said. And this is true. We believe the same thing. Uh, Merit 20, uh, Matthew 24 and 42 says, Watch therefore, for you know not what day your Lord cometh. Mm-hmm. As he was explaining all this to me in greater detail, I had a vision of the womb of the young girl, and I could see the fetus of the man-child. It was a supernatural fetus, translucent and luminous. It was not a normal flesh-and-blood fetus, but a supernatural one. Well, that just it's not saying that it will, is not a natural person, but that that the important thing is that it is going to be supernatural in that the Lord himself is ordaining this and, um, and so on. So a spiritual virgin birth is what we're talking about. <clears throat> and Jesus said that he is coming again in the man-child and that by word and spirit. John sixteen twenty one and 22 A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow, because her hour is come. Okay, Jesus spoke this. Of course, he was already born. So uh, now he's talking about something in the future. Of course, this woman, when you go through the rest of the Bible, you get to her in Revelation chapter 12. But when she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. So it is a man-child. And you therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. This is the Lord in the man-child. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no one taketh away from you. Now we're talking about the Lord coming in the man-child body first fruits because the Word is in them, and because the Spirit is in them. And, the, and Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would take of His and declare it unto us. Right? Amen. As He continued speaking, my vision continued, and I saw a hand stick what appeared to be a hooked rod, like a tiny little shepherd's rod, inside the womb of the mother. Well, David received the heart of a shepherd defending the sheep from the lion and the bear before he was birthed as the anointed man-child king, right? Amen. Garrett went on to say, The rod was meant to induce labor. I saw the little rod scrape against the umbilical cord, and at that very moment the little fetus made a quick reaction and assumed the position of a woman who was about to give birth. So the sign is, of course, that the man-child's about to be born. He was mimicking a woman in her labor position, knees up and legs open. 
It reminded me uh, when a drill sergeant gives a command to a disciplined soldier and he stands at attention immediately. Well, this little fetus reacted just as fast to the command. I was very impressed with the little guy. He was so so little, uh, not even a full-grown baby yet, but now had an intelligence that was beyond his age. And when I saw this vision, I had trouble comprehending how such a small fetus was ready to be birthed, but labor was being induced, and he was coming out regardless. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've prayed that the man-child would come early, you know. Uh, we have so much to do, right? Uh, and I know that a lot of other people have too. Well, we've, we've had uh, many dreams of the man-child being birthed and maturing very rapidly, even walking and talking right after the birth. However, this man-child is maturing rapidly even in the womb, as we will see. Some people know that you can educate your children somewhat in the womb. And so, okay. Well, Garrett said, I feel like we have to be prepared that the man-child will come sooner than we think or what he has planned for. Usually, a baby is born at nine months, but this baby was only about five or six months gestation. Hmm. Okay, so... Now we're going to talk about another sign, Christmas. <laughs> the man-child is coming. Okay, and uh, this is a, what I have shared and taught, right? Uh, on 6, 7, and 22, I went out to sit on the porch in the front of my house. It's a wraparound porch. And I saw a pine tree. When I sat down, it caught my attention because it was lit up with lights that flickered on and off, at, and what it was was droplets of water on the tree that were reflecting the sun uh, that was at just the right angle. So it's reflecting the sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. And I sat down evidently at just the right angle for it to hit me. It was beautiful. It was very surprising. And the first thing that came to my mind, and I spoke it out, Christmas, the man-child is coming. <laughs> uh, and, well, in the natural, the holiday of Christmas has nothing to do with Jesus, you know, since it is actually a, the celebration of the birth of Tammuz, a false Jesus, from the Tower of Babel on. But the Lord will often use Christmas in dreams to represent the coming of the man-child in our day since people relate Christmas to the birth of, the, of Jesus, okay? So God can use all kinds of things. Sometimes he uses negative things in positive ways to hide these things from the wise and prudent and reveal it unto babes. So I thought when I saw this, it was awesome I thought if Michael would hurry back, because Michael had gone somewhere and he was coming back, I would have a witness because somebody might not believe this. Even though I thought God was using a natural phenomenon to do this, I, I took a picture with my phone, but the lights didn't show up. And uh, Michael did come back, and uh, it was a little less glorious at that time but it was still there and clear and uh, I showed it to him 
he saw it, and he tried to use his phone camera, but he noticed in the picture that it, w- it wouldn't pick it up, the lights, even though they were very bright. They were tiny, but very bright. Well, you know, um, th- uh, a droplet on the end of a pine needle hanging down uh, is like a prism with when the light hits it, you know. But I'd never seen it this bright or this beautiful and blinking on and off. So I said to him, Christmas, the man-child is coming. And he thought it was very surprising, too. Um, And then I received the next two revelations right after this. Vanessa sent in this revelation that she got on 6-6-22. We called it Christmas tree with a dove. Mm-hmm. She said, I dreamed that I was in our living room and I saw a small Christmas tree in the corner. I went over to it and I saw that there were several ornaments on it. Well, the verse that came to me was Ezekiel seventeen twenty-two and 23. Thus saith the Lord, I will also take of the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it. I will crop off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it upon a high and lofty mountain. That's Mount Zion. And this is the new leadership. The first, uh, before this context, just before it, uh, the Zedekiah uh, uh, leadership was taken into bondage in Babylon. And now he's saying who's going to replace the apostate leadership. And that's the man-child, and he's, he's going to be taken to the top of Mount Zion. So in the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it shall spring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. And under it, the cedar represents eternal life, right? And under it shall dwell all birds of every wing. In the shade of the branches thereof shall they dwell. So this is speaking of the man-child reformers represented by the topmost young twigs of the cedar tree. Right? I was amazed to see it and thought, why is this tree here? We don't celebrate Christmas, and Christmas was months ago. And um, she said, I think this points to the birth of the man-child ministry rather than the pagan holiday. Uh, the branches made me think of Isaiah 11, 1 through 4. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither decide after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Well, that's something Jesus didn't do, by the way. You know, he stopped in the middle of that verse <laughs> before he got to the judgment part in Isaiah 61. And that's because the man-child is going to take up where he left off. 
Some mistake this for Jesus' first coming, but Jesus didn't slay the wicked. Uh, he wasn't even going to judge them. It is uh, when he returns in the man-child that he will judge and slay the wicked. Uh, a friend had a dream. His name was Tubby. He had a dream that this was speaking of the David man-childs. And that I came up to him representing the David man-childs and quoted this text. He said, you, you spoke to me um, that you knew someone like this. You know, it was, it was me in the text that he got. Okay, but I was representing th this David man-child in that revelation. So all the ornaments were white on this very green tree, but the only one I remember was a large white dove on a branch towards the top of the tree. Now, you know the branch, right? Um, Jeremiah 23 and 33 speak about the branch, right? The branch of David. <clears throat> and it's thinking about, talking about a branch of David in our day. A branch toward the top of the tree, representing the latter rain anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the man-child reformers. Okay? Mark 1 and 9 says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens rent asunder, and the Spirit as a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. So the, double, the, the dove came and landed on the Lord as a type of the man-child, and the things that have been are the things that shall be. And as we saw, Jesus is coming again as a man-child in John 16, which we've quoted before. So I thought of this dream when David talked about the evergreen tree, which represents eternal life, and Winnie's dream of Christmas. Amen. So, here's uh, Winnie's dream, Winnie Asagata, 6-8-22, and we called it Christmas Eve, What is Coming? Why do all these things show up at a time like this? It, they're confirmations. Nobody knows somebody else did this until they pass them on to me, and then we find out, right? So, I prayed and asked the Lord to show me what was coming, and when I fell asleep, he gave me the following dream. And when he said, I dreamt that I was in a very nice suburban area, and it was the evening time of Christmas Eve. Wow, there it is again, Christmas again. Another confirmation that the baby boy, man-child, is coming. Amen. She said, I could see all the houses decorated with colorful Christmas lights throughout this neighborhood on my left. My mother's house was also located on the left side of this suburban neighborhood. Well, we know that the mother church uh, generally does practice Christmas, but they haven't really looked into its very pagan origins. you know. And to some people that doesn't matter, especially those that are not really disciples. But it does matter to disciples to not dishonor the Lord with uh, pagan symbolism, okay? So the Lord is using this, and he's talking 
a lot of the things that we say, we're talking to those people, you see. So God is weak to the weak, and he does talk to them in their language. So Winnie's mom is being used to represent the apostate church that all of God's elect are born out of. Many apostates are in idolatry with the world and its traditions of men, represented by the celebration of Christmas, which is a, a pagan holiday. And uh, there is a connection between the modern-day Christmas tree and the ancient symbol for the fertility goddess named Asherah. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 1-5 says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations. Be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold, and they fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are like a palm tree of turned work. Yeah, they're shaped beautifully, you know. <laughs> and, and speak not, they must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither can is it in them to do good. Okay, so we know it's just an idol. Okay. Um, there was a remake of an older movie being made, except it wasn't actually a movie. It was really happening. Oh. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10 says, A thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. It is, it's there anything whereof it shall be said. See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. Okay, you notice the Christmas tree. There it was, right? I recognized and remembered this old movie that they were remaking, and it was starring Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland is an actor who played a great villain in movies in the 80s and 90s, and he was a villain in the movie In This Dream as well. The meaning of the name Kiefer, by the way, is a German nickname for someone who was quarrelsome. <laughs> uh, from an agent of a middle-high German Kibben, Kiven to quarrel. Well, we know all of the factions are quarrelsome. They only have one agenda. Stop the gospel from going forth. Yeah. And uh, it's well that they are quarrelsome because they identify themselves to people. Uh, they don't usually start off that way. They're pretty slick, you know, as we will see. But they, they get around to doing that. And uh, they slander. They don't obey the rules of Scripture. So, they brought in a new actor for the remake of this movie who looked just like a younger, rounder-faced version of Kiefer Sutherland. His haircut was like the one Kiefer Sutherland had in the movie The Lost Boys. 
a film in which he played a vampire. Hmm. Well, we know the life of the flesh is in the blood. The spiritual vampires of the apostate churches who are lost uh, children uh, who bite and devour and uh, suck the life out of people with their contentious and slanderous ways. Because I had already seen and knew this movie very well, I knew that this Kiefer Sutherland lookalike had a plan to enter into each suburban home in this neighborhood and kill every family. Well, that's exactly what the faction does. They may take out a person or two in a family, but then those people turn and take out the rest of their family. They impart the demons. And they really don't know what they're doing, but they're doing it. I could see him lurking in the shadows of his brick house, spying on the neighborhood through his window on the top floor. Well, we've known them as stalkers and peeping toms. <laughs> Absolutely. And these families are not suspicious as he made himself appear to be trustworthy and friendly. Okay. Well, that reminds me of Romans 16, 17, and 18. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that are causing the divisions and occasions of stumbling, contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and turn away from them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth and fair speech they beguile the hearts of the innocent. Yeah. Who they argue with is people who already know who they are, uh, but they talk smooth and fair to people who don't know them. They want to usurp them. They want to, to uh, change them. But remember that they are actors. This is not their way. It was now I was now inside my mother's home, and this new actor was there as well. He handed my mother a box of marble red cigarettes, and she accepted them. She actually smoked these in real life when I was uh, much younger. And as soon as this actor walked off, I said, No, no, why did you accept them? Now you're marked. And she said, I like marble reds. So... If he gives me Marlboro Reds, I'm going to take them. Well, <laughs> she, uh, when he said the cigarettes represent receiving bad and false spirits. Yes, that's true. Breath and spirit are the same word. And taking in smoke represents taking in an unclean spirit. And if you receive slander from a factious person, you receive that same spirit. And guess what? You are marked. Because the first thing you're going to find is you're walking in the mind of the flesh and the works of the flesh. And if you don't get be granted repentance, you will split hell wide open. That's just the facts. She seemed to be very bothered by my objections uh, to her receiving these cigarettes, but I knew how this movie was going to play out. So I was desperately trying to warn her to but to no avail. That's her mother. That's people in the apostate church. They don't know about the rules, for one thing. 
The rules tell you very plainly that you don't talk about somebody or accuse anybody without two or three witnesses, uh, especially an elder. And if you've got something against somebody, you go to them alone and talk to them about it and then take a witness and then bring it before the church. But these people always disobey that. They bring it to the church because they want to slander. And they can't slander in front of you because you will uh, show them wrong, you see. So they have to hide out and do it. Well, many in apostasy aren't heeding our warnings currently, and they will have no, they'll have to experience judgment before they can turn back to righteousness. And still, many won't repent of their wickedness, and they will be killed spiritually with an eternal death. These people are murderers of the worst kind. Somebody who kills your body, you can still go to heaven. But when they kill your spirit and your soul with demons, you can't. That's the worst kind of a murderer. At this point, I knew that this actor was going to come back and kill her because she was marked. Yes, she had received the the spirits, right? And that I had to go. I couldn't stay with her there or I would be killed as well. And as much as it pained me to know what was going to happen, I didn't understand why no one else could see what was happening here. Since this movie was a remake of an old film, it should have been obvious what was going on, but it wasn't to them. Well, I know people who have, been, um, have seen this happen to others and fall into the trap because of disobedience. They had no choice. They were turned over to this. God is uh, taking the tares out from among the wheat and bundled them in bundling them into bundles to burn them. This is what's happening, to cleanse the church. Faction cleanses the church. It's, faction means separation, and it separates people who are not obedient to God and are walking in the mind of the flesh and the works of the flesh. Well, John twelve thirty seven through 40 says this, But though he had done so many signs before them, yet they believed not on him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for that Isaiah said again, uh, He hath blinded their eyes, he hath hardened their heart lest they should see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and should turn and I should heal them. Well, this is it. They're blinded eyes and blinded heart. It is them. They cannot understand you. To them, it's like a foreign language. The things that they really loved and appreciated before, these demons reprobated them. Right? I left this suburban area to find an escape, and I entered into the city. I stopped by a clothing store that I used to go to when I was younger. Well, we should not shrink back, uh, represented by visiting the younger clothing store. Um, Hebrews 10 and 39 says, But we are not of them that shrink back unto perdition or destruction, but of them that have faith unto the saving of the soul. Yes, many are going into perdition. 
which is destruction. Judas, of course, was a factious person who factioned away from his brother and Jesus, and he was reprobated. The devil entered into him, and he did his dirty deed, and he killed himself with his own hands. And that's what the faction do. I, I recognized one of the women that worked there in the dream, but not in real life. She was uh, an overweight black lady with a fake ponytail. Huh. Well, uh, this, I believe, represents people who are walking in darkness who feed the flesh. She was overweight. She met me outside with a hug and said, Merry Christmas. And I said, Merry Christmas as well. I don't personally celebrate Christmas, she said, but I believe the Lord is just using this as a parable. That's true. A parable of judgment on the apostates at the time of the man-child's birth is what we're seeing. And I noticed that uh, I had a large, overweight, gray, striped cat with me. And it walked into the store. The cat wanted to stay behind. And I agreed that it was best because I could not escape what was happening with this cat tagging along. Well, a cat we know uh, represents rebellious self-will. And, of course, if she would take rebellious self-will with her, she would not escape this death. Uh, Witchcraft is what? Rebellion. Yes. Okay. I thought about the verse in Hebrews 12, 1, 2. Therefore let us also, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Well, we have to leave our rebellious sin nature behind, represented by the fat gray cat, uh, if we want to escape the judgment of of the faction that takes people out. And um, she said the lady in the store agreed that the cat could remain there in the store. So they, she, the lady in the store had no objections to this rebellion being there. But again, I was sad because I knew what was coming and that they would not be safe if they did not escape. And this actor would come and kill them, including the cat. Yeah, the person who has the self-willed rebellion, right? Well, Psalm 37 and 38 says, As for transgressors, or the rebellious, they shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. And in Second Peter 2 and 12, but these, as creatures without reason, born mere animals to be taken and destroyed, railing in what matters whereof they are ignorant, 
shall in their destroying surely be destroyed. Yes. I left the store and continued up a flight of stairs to leave this area too, and then I woke up. The dream felt so real that when I woke up, I felt like this was still happening, and I was trying to figure out what movie this was that they were trying to remake. Well, let me say that the people who don't learn from his story or history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, people who have watched these people go nuts and know it's crazy if they enter into rebellion or self-will or unforgiveness, criticism and judgment of others, they are ripe for the picking of this actor, factious actor. And we've watched it. We know the type of person that does this. Okay. So I asked the Lord for a verse by faith at random and received Joel 2, 19. We're going to, in context, uh, read 15 through 20. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the assembly, assemble the old men, Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. So here is a revelation of the bride and the bridegroom. Amen. Good things happen at the time of this uh, northern army, right? Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thy heritage to reproach, that the nation should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then was the Lord jealous for his land, and had pity on his people. And the Lord answered and said unto his people, Behold, I will send you grain, and new wine, and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far off from you the northern army, and that is these people. This is a Red Sea type appearance of a, like Pharaoh's army who wanted to bring the people back into bondage to the old man. And that's what happens to these factious peoples. They go back into bondage to the old man. And will drive it into the land barren and desolate, its forepart into the eastern sea, its hinder part into the western sea. And its stench shall come up, and its ill savor shall come up, because it hath done great things. So the northern army is like Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. It's, an, it's a, the end of the persecutors and the, the beginning of the wilderness tribulation. Amen. Okay, here's another one. Vanessa Weeks got this on 610. Come up here, we called it. <laughs> As I was praying in the Spirit on 610.22, I saw a staircase going up to heaven. 
And a man which I saw from the back was walking up it, and I heard, Come up here. Well, the man-child reformers will be caught up to the throne of authority soon to bring God's people through the wilderness tribulation. Amen. You remember the anointing that was on Moses, so much so that he put a veil upon his face. Yes, he was the anointed man-child. Revelation 4.1. Vanessa put here. After these things I saw, and behold, a door opened in heaven, and the first voice that I heard, a voice as of a trumpet speaking with me, one saying, Come up here, <laughs> and I will show thee the things which must come to pass hereafter. I want to tell you that, that John was a type of the man-child here, and the man-child will get the revelation of things to come. Yes. And, of course, what was it? The tribulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read the book of Revelation. And she also gave John one fifty one, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Hmm. And she also gave Proverbs 25 and 6, Put not thyself forward in the presence of the king. Stand not in the place of great men. For better is it that it shall be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest uh, be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom thine eyes have seen. Wow. Hmm. And uh, she said, I believe the Lord is giving us a picture of the soon anointing of the man-child. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, I'm going to share one more with you. Vision of the Bride Chosen at the Throne. Claire Pinar, 525-22. I had a quick vision of myself in front of Jesus' throne. I was bigger than I am in real life, as was the throne and the setting. I believe this larger-than-life presentation of myself in the dream denotes the corporate body of the bride. There was a very good looking and well-dressed man walking all around me and sizing me up. He reminded me of a well-known fashion designer who can, just by looking at his models, make clothing that fits them perfectly. This man represents Satan, the accuser of the brethren, who always tries to get the bride to put on garments of filth or unrighteousness. I had a veil over my head, but not my face. I was glowing. Jesus put out his hand to me and said, I choose you. Then I started telling this man to stop. I did not speak, but I was rebuking this man's words and actions in my mind. Well, Revelation twelve ten and 11 says, And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now is come the salvation and the power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. And James 4 and 7 says, Be subject therefore unto God, 
but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's what she did. She took the hand of Jesus and resisted the devil. So the man who was sizing me up could not dress me up the way he wanted, and I began glowing even more. <laughs> yeah, Revelation 19, 7 and 8. It's, uh, let us rejoice and be exceeding glad, and let us give the glory unto him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and the wife hath made herself ready. And it was given unto her that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So Jesus turned to say something to the Father, but I could not hear it. As I reached out to touch Jesus' hand, similar to how Esther waited for Ahasuerus to hold out the golden scepter, and I woke up. All right. Well, Lord, we thank you for these revelations of your soon coming, and we're looking forward to it. Lord, um, we can feel it, and uh, we've had many signs besides these, obviously. And uh, you've encouraged us over the years of many types and shadows of the coming of the man-child and what, of course, their job is to do, which is to replicate the ministry of Jesus. Remember, in uh, John 16, Jesus said he was coming again as a man-child born to a woman, and uh, they would see him, yes, and they would rejoice. And, uh, you know, the things that have been are the things that shall be. So Jesus, being the first New Testament man-child, um, was a type for the end-time corporate body of people that now covers the earth. And the man-child that is needed, of course, is a corporate body, too, so he can reach the people. Amen? And, of course, um, the, uh, the witnesses that Jesus sent for two by two they too are multiplied in these end times because they need to reach a corporate body people, the church, which is worldwide, not just a little Israel in the Middle East anymore. They are a type and a shadow of the church. So everything is on a much bigger scale, and but it's happening again. A repeat is happening. What we're going to see is the new uh, reformer leadership, reformer because uh, they will be leading the people back to the original word that was commanded, the original covenant that was commanded, uh, and bring them out of their apostasy, right? And uh, so, like Moses, he um, brought judgment upon Egypt, but he led God's people through the wilderness with the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon him, and he did signs and wonders and miracles. Jesus did too, and the man-child will too, because the things that have been are the things that shall be, and the things that have been done are the things that shall be done. There's no new thing under the sun. There's only repetitions of history, and usually history repeats with uh, a larger scale every time it repeats. So, Father, we thank you for the signs and the wonders and miracles we see today, Lord, out there so many people who are in need, who have uh, sicknesses and uh, diseases, and uh, of course, they're trying to wipe out humanity, 
And um, the uh, vaccine, of course, has made many sick and is killing people by the multitudes. And according to what they're saying, they expect it to kill about 1.6 billion people, ultimately. Because uh, not all these people die right away. Some of them will die five or six years down the road. So there's a great need for healing. And when Jesus came, it was the same way. Nobody was healing anybody. And so there was a great need. And what happened was God confirmed the word that Jesus spoke with signs and wonders following, as the Scripture says. He does. So he will do it again. He will bring attention to the man-child reformer people uh, with signs and wonders. And um, and people will pay attention to their word because they're paying attention to their works. Uh, no man can do these things except God be with him, it was said of Jesus, right? And it's true. People have that general knowledge, that general understanding. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We're looking forward to it. We know there are a lot of people out there who have one particular thing that they've been waiting on for you to do for them. And they're holding on to their faith so that when you come in the man-child and the signs and wonders are done, they will be healed and delivered, so on and so forth, provided for, whatever. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, saints. Michael Hare will come now and um, share a word with you. And we ask that, Lord, that you bless Michael and the brethren that are joining him and um, let the word sink into their hearts and um, rise them up in the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. It is so good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I thank you for your word. It tells us of faith, shows us of faith. It defines what faith is, and it defines who we should be and how we should walk in the steps of Jesus. And I praise you, Father, for your word. Lord, I ask for your anointing today to give out these things that you have shown me over the years, and I thank you for it, Father. Lord, speak through me the things that uh, we have uh, looked at, and I thank you for it, Father, and I thank you, Lord, that it's going to be a blessing for everyone who's listening, and I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Well, today, I want to talk about uh, God's methods of healing, but uh, first, first of all, you know, we need to see ourselves in the light of what the scripture says has already happened. We need to see ourselves as people who have already been saved, already been delivered, already been healed, already been provided, already been protected by God's hand. And if you do that, then you'll learn to enter into God's rest. And we learn that God has already provided all these things for us. And it only remains for us to enter into those works which he has done from the foundation of the world. And we do that through our faith. 
2 Peter 1 and 3 says, seeing that his divine power hath granted, that's past tense, of course, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us by his own glory and virtue. And I want you to notice that this is what we need to be seeing in the spirit, not what you can see in the flesh. And that's what it is to walk in the spirit and to have the eyes of the dove, like it says in Song of Solomon, uh, which is to see things the way God commands us to see things. And if we did this, we would be full of God's holy boldness, God's power, and his dominion in this earth. And through the knowledge is how we gain this spiritual sight of seeing that all things have been provided already. And it's the past tense verses in the word of God that, that describe the dominion that the Lord has given us concerning healing and the deliverance provision and protection, all those things that the Lord has already given to us. He's already accomplished it at the cross for us. Verse 4, 2 Peter 1, whereby he hath granted unto us, past tense, his precious and exceeding great promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. The divine nature of Jesus Christ is imparted to those people that are serious about taking hold on these precious and exceedingly great promises. Those people who realize through the eyes of the Spirit that they have already been given everything that is necessary for this life. The word asks the question, is, it, is any among you sick? Folks, there should be no sick among you because by his stripes you were healed. And because there has been no spiritual development or growth and you are still babes in Christ, you're sick. The healing for the carnally minded man. Carnal means sense rule. The carnally minded man is a Christian who has not yet come to the place where the word rules him and governs his thinking. He's called a babe in Christ, carnally minded, fleshly. He is ruled by the flesh. He's ruled by what he sees with his eyes, what he feels, what he hears, tastes, and smells. He is a body ruled, sense-governed child of God. He is a babe in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Well, that is, men whose spirits have gained control over their thinking. Their spirits recreated, but the unrenewed mind rules their spirit. He says, I cannot speak unto you as men whose minds are subordinate to the word of God, because their minds were not renewed. They're still babes. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 13 says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard of interpretation, seeing you are become dull of hearing. For when by reason of the time you ought to be teachers, you have need again that someone teach you the rudiments of the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of solid food. 
For everyone that partakes of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. How many believers fall under this admonition right here? They can't understand the word. For everyone that partakes of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. This word of righteousness is little understood. They never had an experience in living in righteousness. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, righteousness means the ability to stand in the presence of the Father or of demons or of sickness and disease without the sense of inferiority, condemnation, or of sin consciousness. Those who live in righteousness or who know by the word that they are the righteousness of God in Christ they are absolute masters over circumstances, demons, and disease. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and 21 says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are having this experience in the word of righteousness. You are finding that it is the word of that heals. This ministry of the Word of God is the Word of Righteousness. It is the Word of Righteousness that sets men free, and it leads them out of Satan's dominion into the liberty and freedom of the sons of God. They become fearless, and they speak boldly and mightily. Verse 14, but solid food is for full-grown men, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. The believer described has grown up into a spiritual life in Christ. And he's fed on that word until the word has transfigured him. James chapter 5 and verses 14 through 16. That's God's method of healing the carnally minded, or the babes in Christ. And God, in his great grace, says in James 5, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Confess, therefore, your sins one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The supplication of a righteous man avails much in his working. Now I want you to notice very carefully these facts. He can't see that his disease was laid on Christ, but he can see the elders, he can hear their prayers, and he can feel the anointing all upon his forehead, and he can feel their hands upon his head. He's living in the realm of the senses. Grace comes down and meets him in this realm. If he had taken advantage of his privileges, he would have acted on what 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That scripture is to the scripture the, the, the Christians, had that believer, that babe in Christ, taken advantage of his rights and privileges, 
he would have looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive me for the thing I have done which caused my sickness. And God the Father would have forgiven him and healed him right then. But he has to see and he has to feel before he can believe. He belongs to that Thomas class. When I see, I will believe. Practically all the faith that men had in Jesus before his death and resurrection was sense, knowledge, faith. They believed in things they saw and heard. They couldn't believe in a resurrection. They had never seen a resurrection. They had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. He was just raised. He was brought back to life again. He wasn't resurrection because he died again, right? But praise God for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that comes down to our level and meets us where we can't apparently act on the word because we are governed by our senses. And the healing and the redemption is we have seen healing for the world in the name of Jesus. We've seen healing for the carnally minded believer through the elders. Now let's look at and see healing for the man who enjoys the fullness of his privileges in Christ, okay? Isaiah 53 is a preview of Jesus' public ministry and his substitutionary sacrifice. It's a veiled prophecy, but it's revealed now through Paul's revelation as belonging to us, each one of us. Isaiah 53 and 3 says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with disease. Folks, he was a root out of dry ground but he was precious to the Father, but he was also condemned by the world. And continuing on, as one from whom men hide their faiths, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was stricken and smitten of God with our diseases, Every disease known to the human race was laid upon Jesus. Then Isaiah 52, 14 says, Like as many were astonished at thee, his face was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Now the margin of the cross-reference Bible says this, Men were dumbfounded at him for deformed, was his appearance so as not to be a man and his figure so as not to be human. Or this other one said, so shall many be amazed over him. His visage was so marred, unlike to a man and his form, unlike the sons of men. His visage was so as not to be a man and his figure no longer resembled a man. He was made sin with our sin. He was under the dominion of Satan. Now, this is a description of Jesus' spirit, not his body. He was made sick with our diseases. And when those diseases came upon his precious spirit, he no longer resembled a man. Isaiah 53 and 4 again, he was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was God that laid our diseases upon him. And it was justice that demanded a recompense for our offense. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now you can see this fact, that sickness was healed spiritually. God did not heal with sickness physically. Disease today is spiritual. And when you prove through the word that our diseases were laid on Jesus and the sick man accepts his fact, he will understand and be instantly healed. And as long as we think that disease is physical, purely physical, well, you're not going to get your deliverance. But when you know it's spiritual and it has to be healed by the word of God, because you remember he said in Psalm 107 and 20, he sent his word and healed them, then healing becomes a reality. He was wounded for our transgressions. That was spiritual. He was bruised for our iniquities. It was a spiritual bruising. The wounds that the soldiers made did not take away sin, for if they had, sin would be a physical thing. It would be a sense knowledge thing. And human justice deals only with sense evidence, not what a man thinks, but what he says or does. He endured sufferings that the senses can't understand. They stand mute and helpless in the presence of this great spiritual tragedy that took place on Calvary. It said the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. It wasn't the physical wounds made by the soldier. It was the stripes that justice laid upon his spirit. Isaiah 53 and seat, uh, 6. <laughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick. He made him sick with our sicknesses. So we don't have to be sick. Only ignorance of our rights or refusal to act upon the word can keep us sick. He made him sin with our sin. So we don't need to remain in sin. He became sin that we might become righteous. He went to hell that we might go to heaven. Glory to God. He was made weak that we might be made strong. He took our place. He met every need. He satisfied every claim of justice and set us free. Glory to God. And if this be the case, sickness on the part of the believer is wrong, just as weakness and every other thing that Satan brought upon man is wrong because he suffered to put it away. Now, a few facts about the supernatural life that we're supposed to walk in. In the mind of the Father, we are supermen. We are conquerors. We are overcomers. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, For whatsoever is begotten of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that hath overcome the world, even our faith. It was our faith that brought us into this family of conquerors. Glory to God. 1 John 5 and 5, Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? 
we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he rose again for our justification. And we believe that the moment we take him to be our Savior and confess him as our Lord, God takes us to be his children and gives us eternal life. This places us in the realm of supernatural conquerors. We are sons of God, glory to God. The healing and victory are ours, folks. They're ours without asking. All we need to do is to simply know it and praise God for it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Having then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. We are to hold fast our confession. Well, what's our confession? Well, it's that we are new creations, that sin has been put away, and that we are the righteousness of God in him. And we confess that surely he had borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Folks, our confession is that he was stricken, smitten of God with our infirmities and weaknesses. And now by his stripes, we are absolutely healed. Sin and disease have been put away, and in the name of Jesus, we have dominion over Satan and the work of his hands, glory to God. And in his name, we cast out demons. And in his name, we lay hands on the sick, and they do recover. And if we can cast out demons, we can also command the demon diseases to leave our bodies. For disease was brought there by a demon and is being developed by a demon. We say, in Jesus' name, demon, leave this body. And that demon is under obligation to the name of Jesus to obey. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose because we, with him, had conquered Satan, Lord of God. Colossians 2 and 15 says, Having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Folks, Jesus' triumph is our triumph. Jesus' victory is our victory. He didn't do anything for himself. It was all for us. Today, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we should never talk about our diseases. When we talk about our diseases, we are glorifying the adversary who had the ability to put that disease upon us. Psalms 27 and 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God has made him, Jesus, to be wisdom unto us. He has made him to be redemption unto us. And if this be true, then Satan has no right to reign over us with sickness, disease, weakness, or failure. And every time we talk of our troubles, we glorify the being who put that trouble on us. Our confession should be that God is today our strength. He's our wisdom. He's our complete and perfect redemption, our sanctification, and our righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. We can do all things in him who strengthens us. Glory to God. Today, the name of Jesus in our lips, folks, can conquer disease and 
sickness. That name can bring courage and it can bring victory to the defeated and whipped. The prayer of unbelief, folks, never gives faith. When you pray for faith, you confess your unbelief. And this increases your doubts for the prayer is never heard. I'll tell you why. The doubter often prays for things that are already belongs to him. God has blessed him with every spiritual blessing that governs every spiritual need. Redemption has never been seen as a reality. It is a theory, a creed, a doctrine. Few expect experimental evidence of it. Satan has taken advantage of our ignorance of redemption to put disease upon us, holding us in bondage. The defeated, that Satan, holds his master in bondage. Folks, we, the believer, is Satan's master. Get that down in your heart. Now, there are five ways by which healings are obtained through the Word of God. Now, listen to what I say here. The early church used healing as a means of advertising the gospel as well as blessing the people. John 14, 13 through 13, 14 can be used as a, a, in this connection that I'm talking about. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. If pain comes on you, you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, leave my body. And that pain has to go because you are the master of your own body. You rule it and you have a right to freedom from pain or sickness. And in that name, you command it to leave. You're not demanding it of the Father because the Father has given you the authority over these demon forces. And you can use the name, that's Jesus, to break the power of the adversary over the unsaved and make it easy for them to accept Christ. In that name, they that believe shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Okay? Every believer should understand this clearly, that he has a right to perfect deliverance from the hand of his enemy in that name, the name of Jesus. Now, a second method is found in Mark 16 and 18. In my name, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The believer has the nature of God in him. He has the life of God in him. The spirit dwells in him. It is that power within him that goes out through his hands in the name of Jesus and heals the sick. And sometimes it's accompanied by manifestation. The person feels the life of God go pouring through his body. Other times, there's no manifestation. And it don't make a bit of difference whether or not there is any sense witness or any feelings of any sort. They that believe shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The same power that is in him can be exercised in the name of Jesus for a sick one in a distant place. The moment he prays in that name, God's healing power reaches out to that one and he is healed. 
Now, third method is for the carnal believer. That is, the believer who is governed by the senses and not by the word. First Corinthians 3, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3, calls him a babe in Christ. Now, James 5, 14 says, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Now, this scripture is not for full-grown believers, but for those who have never developed their spiritual life so as to take their places in Christ. It's for those who must depend on others to pray for them. And it's okay. Don't feel condemned because you want to do that. That's fine. Now, a fourth method of healing is found in John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you shall ask anything of the Father, he will give it you in my name. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full. Every believer has a right to ask the Father for healing or any other blessing. And if he asks in the name of Jesus, he has the absolute guarantee that the Father will hear and answer his petition. Now the fifth method. A fifth method of healing is found over in Matthew 18 verses 18 through 20. It says if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that says shall ask. It shall be done for them of my father who is in heaven. Where two are united and are demanding in Jesus' name the healing of loved ones. Prayer is going to be answered. God watches over his word to make it good. Praise God. Now, healing and redemption. There's another method of healing, which I believe to be the best. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was smitten with our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Here is the absolute statement of fact that by his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24, okay? Who his own self bear our sins in his body <clears throat> upon the tree that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. <clears throat> Matthew eight sixteen and 17, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our diseases. These scriptures prove that healing is ours. And we simply know that by his stripes we were healed. We thank the Father for our perfect deliverance. And it's not necessary that we pray or ask the Father to heal us. We know that he said, by his stripes you were healed. The afflictions in our bodies were laid upon Jesus. He bore them. We don't need to bear them. All we need to do is to recognize and accept that fact and refuse to allow disease in our body because we 
are him. Every believer should thoroughly understand that his healing was consummated in Christ. It would mean the end of a whole lot of troubles in the body of the believer if he did. If it were not for this thing you call sin consciousness, I would have faith. If I had faith, I would have my healing. But the word does not seem real to me. I read it and I say, by his stripes I am healed. And yet in my mind, I hear another voice saying, but the pain is still there. I find that I am giving two testimonies continually, one with my lips and another with my intellect. Now, we ought to fully understand this. No matter what one standing is in heaven, if he has no faith in it, it ain't going to do him a bit of good. No matter what a man's privileges are, if the hand of faith is paralyzed, he can't take hold of them. And as long as he is ruled by sin consciousness, he has no sense of redemption. He's under condemnation. Satan rules it. And as long as Satan rules, faith is going to be shriveled up and undeveloped. All through Paul's revelations from Romans through Hebrews, there is a complete redemption, Paul. There is perfect redemption. Satan is conquered, folks. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 said, Since then the children are sharers in flesh and blood, he also himself in like manner partook of the same, that through death he might bring to naught him that had the authority of death, that is, the devil. Folks, he's stripped of his authority. Revelation 1 and 18, Jesus triumphantly says, I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Satan was put to nothing. His ability was paralyzed by Christ. Colossians 2 and 15, having to spoil the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So Satan has no dominion over us. Romans 6 and 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. If redemption does not deliver us from sin consciousness, it's no better than Judaism. If it can't free us now from condemnation, God and Christ have failed. Satan has become the master. If sin consciousness rules, acting on the word is impossible. Faith is a withered flower where sin consciousness rules. So the problem of faith then is to get rid of sin consciousness. And the word is the only cures. It declares that we are redeemed. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In whom we have our redemption through his blood, the remission of our sins. So if we have been redeemed, Satan's dominion is broken and we are free, glory to God. Not only has a perfect redemption been accomplished, but provision for a perfect recreation has been made, glory to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. 
but all things are of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation. There is a complete recreation and a complete reconciliation. If God has recreated us, we are not under bondage to the things of the old creation. If a man has been recreated, it is God's own work. He did it through the Holy Spirit and his own word. That new creation is affected by the impartation of God's own nature. Second Peter 1 and verse 4 says, Whereby he hath granted unto us his precious and exceeding great promises, that through these ye may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. We become partakers of the divine nature. We're actually born from above. That old sin nature has gone, and a new nature, which is free from condemnation, has taken its place. Romans chapter 8, verses 1, and then verse 33. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Folks, we've been made free from the law of sin and death. And then verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? God has justified or he has declared us righteous, folks. That word justify means to make righteous. Righteousness is the ability to stand in the Father's presence without the sense of guilt, sin, or inferiority. We stand there as though sin had never been. And if redemption does not mean that, if the new creation doesn't give that, God's failed us. The new creation has to be as free from sin as Adam was before he committed sin or God has failed in his redemption work. Someone might say, what about 1 John 1 and 6? That says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He spoke, he's speaking there of, of the old fleshy man. He's speaking of a broken fellowship. If a man says he has fellowship with the Father when he is leaving, living under condemnation, he's telling a lie. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Every man who is living in broken fellowship is walking in darkness. First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned when we're living out of fellowship, we're telling the non-truth. But if we do sin, 1 John 2 and 1 takes care of that. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Then Ephesians 2 and 10, we are his workmanship. He not only made us new creations, but he made us righteous also. Romans 3 and 26, for the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he might himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. And this declares that he has become the righteousness of the man who has that faith in Jesus as Savior. If God has become our righteousness, folks, we have a legal standing in his presence. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 tells us that he was made unto us righteousness. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Then we have God as our righteousness and Jesus as our righteousness. Romans 4.25 Who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Romans 5 and 1 says, Being therefore declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Him who knew no sin, God made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He not only becomes our righteousness, but now he also makes us his righteousness by a new birth, a recreation. We stand before him reconciled without condemnation in fellowship with him. And if the scripture means anything, it means exactly what it says. The believer has a legal right to stand in the Father's presence without condemnation. And if he can do that, then acting on the word is possible. And if acting on the word is possible, everything that belongs to us in Christ becomes available at once. When Jesus rose from the dead, he left an eternally defeated Satan behind him. Always think of Satan as the eternally defeated one. This is Jesus' spiritual ministry. It began on the cross, Isaiah 53, 3-5. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of pains, and acquainted with disease, as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You know, the disciples couldn't see it when they looked upon the thorn-crowned man of Galilee. He was then bearing our sicknesses and diseases. And the tenth verse says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath made him sick. He made him sin with our sin, sick with our sicknesses. Isaiah 52 and 14, His visage was marred more than any man. It was so marred that he no longer looked like a man. That was not his physical body. God could not look on his soul. When God made his soul an offering for sins, he was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It was God who laid our diseases on him. He was smitten by justice because he was our substitute. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It was not the physical stripes on his back made by the Roman guard, but the stripes that God put upon him with our diseases when he was judged and cast out in our stead. Matthew 8 and 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our diseases. Our infirmities are our little mental quirks, the things that make us disagreeable and unpleasant to people. These are largely infirmities of the mind. 
he bore them all. What he bore, we don't need to bear. What he took upon himself, we need not suffer. And we have come to believe that it is just as wrong for a believer to bear his sickness when Jesus bore as it is for him to bear his sins when Christ bore we have no right to live in sin and to bear those hateful habits that make a life a curse because Christ bore every one of them. And it was wrong for him to bear them if we are going to bear them too. And it's wrong for us to have sickness and disease in our bodies. When God laid those diseases on Jesus, he became sick with our diseases that we might be healed. He knew no sickness until he was made sick with our diseases. And the object of his sin-bearing was to make righteous the ones who believed on him. The object of disease-bearing was to make well the ones who believe him as the disease-bearer. His sin-bearing made righteousness sure to the new creation. His disease-bearing makes healing sure to the new creation. He took our sins and made us righteous. He took our diseases and made us well. He took our infirmities and gave us his strength. He exchanged his strength for our weaknesses, his success for our fallings, failings. Now we understand that disease is broken ease, broken fellowship with heaven. Dis-ease is pain, weakness, loss of ability to bless and help. And it makes slaves of the people who care for the sick. The loved ones who are up night and day working over the sick ones are robbed of joy and rest. Folks, sickness is not of love and God is love. Disease is a robber. It steals health. It steals happiness. It steals money that we need for other things. Disease, folks, is an enemy. And look what it has stolen from that tuberculosis patient in the world. It came upon him in the midst of young manhood and made him a burden to his family, filled him with anxiety and doubt and fear and pain. It robbed him of his faith. See what disease has done to that woman. It had robbed her of her beauty and her joy and her love and she's no longer able to fill the place of a mother or wife all this is of the devil jesus said in luke 13 1 through 7 that disease was of satan it says and behold a woman that had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and she was bowed together and couldn't in no wise lift herself up and ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound low these 18 years to have been loosed from this bond? She was Satan bound. Acts 10.38 tells us that Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. From the beginning to the end of Jesus' public ministry, he was combating Satan. His battle was not with man, but entirely with demons who dwelt, indwelt man. And it was the devil who used the high priesthood to stir up the strife which finally nailed Jesus to the cross. 
Don't let anyone tell you that disease is the will of love. It is the will of hate. It is the will of Satan. If the disease becomes the will of love, love is turned to hatred. If disease is the will of God, glory to God, heaven will be filled with disease and sicknesses. Folks, Jesus was the express will of the Father. He went about healing the sick. Disease and sickness are never the will of the Father. To believe that they are is to be disillusioned by the adversary. And if healing had not been in the plan of redemption, it wouldn't have been in the substitutionary chapter of Isaiah 53. If healing had not been in redemption, the Father would not have taught it in his word. Jesus healed all who came to him, Jews and Gentiles alike. He was carrying out the will of the Father. He was the will of the Father. Glory to God, glory to God. Father God, I just pray, praise you, and I thank you, Lord, for this word that you have, Lord. We thank you, Father, that we are seeing that we are free from sickness and sin. And we praise you, Father, that we are. We believe what your word says about us and you. And we thank you, Lord, that the devil has no ties to us at all. That we could command him to go in, in the name of Jesus, and he has to go. We can command sickness to go in the name of Jesus, and it has to go. And we thank you, Father, for these wonderful, wonderful promises that you have given us. And we praise you, Father, that we are going to apply these and we're going to confess only what the Word says and not what the devil says. And we thank you from this time on, we're going to do that. We thank you, Lord, for setting a watch before our lips. It tells us that what to say and what not to say according to your Word. And we praise you, Father, for doing that for in and of us, Lord. Thank you so much for being our God. We love you. And we can't wait to see you face to face. And we praise you, Father. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Well, I'm out of time, folks. God bless you. We'll see you again next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white, Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, sacred heart in you, I find mercy.
mercy seated for all time. I am yours and you are mine, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, oh Jesus.